Hey, fellow tennis nerds. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. This is the third time I'm joined by the legend in the game, Rick Macy. We're going to talk about the upcoming season. We're going to talk about the end of this season and other stuff. He's just back from the tennis court as always. Thanks for joining me, Rick. No, I'm glad to be here. It's like uh, when Natalie asked me to get on the podcast again, I definitely have to make the time because we had a lot of fun last time. Yeah, always fun talking to you. Always fun talking tennis. So, so what's going on in in your tennis life? You're you just came back from the courts, like coaching sessions with with uh, pro clients or with like more amateur clients. What what's up? Yeah, no, it's like uh, a lot of juniors, you know. And uh, but the last one I had, uh, first off, great question. The last one I have is uh, Sofia Valinsky, one of the top twelve and under uh, players in Europe. We talked about her before. I, I not only personally coach her, I represent her with edge management. They're from Ukraine. And I'm telling you, you know, I'm telling you, I've never had a player so moldable with such upside. It's like a piece of clay. I mean, I can take this as far as I want because of the athleticism, uh, the ballet movement, uh, just the overall stuff to work with. And I feel, you know, I feel if I can't make this girl or help this girl become one of the best in the world, I did a, I did a bad job. She has all the ingredients to do this. She just turned 12. Um, so there's a lot to go. Uh, but the upside is incredible. And any coach likes to work with someone when they keep coming back for more. We can go four or five hours and she'll go, can we go more? Wow. Yeah, yeah. That that's what you want to see, right? You want to see someone who loves tennis and loves to work, because otherwise, you, how are you going to get anywhere? Yeah, but that's like another, you know. And then if you're if you have the talent or you have the thoroughbred, and they have other attributes, and you can get great biomechanics on someone with that attitude, uh, the sky's the limit. You know, I just posted on Instagram her standing on a ball, you know, to be on balance and juggling. You got to go on there. Anybody watching this should go on. It's kind of hard to do, you know, and I, I told her mom, I said, that not only trains the hand, eye and the coordination, it trains the mind. And that's what this game is all about. Yeah, the mind is, is needs to be there. And that seems to be the case with this, this young girl. So uh, you must be pretty excited that you have like, you know, you have the dough in your hands. Now it's about time to kind of you have really some some skin in the game here right, with, with this project. Yeah, no question about it. I, you know, I'm. I, it, it's exciting simply because she's 12, she's not 17, you know, so I can stay on the details like a woodpecker, keep pecking, you know, if the doors close, I'll go through the window. If the windows close, I'll try the chimney, you know, I'll just keep pecking. But when you have someone that young, okay, kind of like Darwin Blanche, when I had him at six, seven, eight, nine, the technical part is easier because there's no bad muscle memory, baked in extra crispy. And I can kind of reprogram the reflexes easier. So right now it's all about technique, trying to get the serve optimal and off the ground. But she's bringing so much to the table. Um, I love it. Yeah, that's that's great. And um, it must be nice. The earlier you get them, the better, right? So you want the really fresh salmon, right? So you can actually work on the stuff that's not going to be there from the beginning. Because we talked before, you know, about Coco Golf and like her forehand and stuff you could do to improve it. And uh, the must must be better to get as early as possible to be able to do kind of your magic and, and to work on the biomechanics with your team. Absolutely. Some of the best strokes are kids that are here seven, eight, nine, ten. 
That doesn't mean you're putting them on a, a champion, but they're going to hit the ball a little more optimal if they buy in, but there's no muscle memory. So it's easy to kind of shadow and go slow, you know, so it's, it's easier when they're younger to get more optimal technique, okay? Because let's face it, one bad grip or one bad backswing or something funky, if you hit millions of balls, you can master garbage. But at the end of the day, it's still garbage, you know? So you got to be careful, you know? And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I just want her to be so technically sound because she can run and stop on a dime. She's agile, great work ethic, great kid. Uh, she's like my own daughter, even though my other daughter's right next door. Sorry about that. Okay, so my other daughter's right here. I, I, I love this kid uh, just because it's a feel-good story. And at this stage of my career, like I said, I'm not just changing someone's strokes or career. I've changed someone's life. And to me, that, that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, it has extra juice to the whole to the whole story, really. Like that, you, that is a story from from also outside the tennis court. I think that that really helps your motivation. I, I'm I'm sure. So when you look at someone like like this player, what are the key fundamentals you think that needs to be there uh, for you to move to the next step, like in her career? Like what what first are you off, working on mainly to focus? I, first off, I I love the question. You know, when I I saw a video of her at ten. Uh, because Edge Management, the company I'm with, I was looking at some other players, and I noticed the movement, okay, and the way she could stop and start, okay. It wasn't on the outside because her swings were sloppy and big, and she had very good feel of the ball. But I, I just the movement because I just feel if you can move, especially in today's game, because movement, as you know, is a premium. If you can't get there, you can't deliver, and if you can't deliver, you're gonna miss. But if you can get there quicker, okay, you can deliver, uh, deliver quality off of quality, like Alcaraz and Djokovic. They can make better shots off of tougher shots than maybe the rest of the world. And that little edge is the difference. And what I love about Sophia, she likes to chip. She likes to drop. She likes to come in. You know, I'm trying to get bullets off both sides, you know. So she's going to play kind of like Barty or Mahova except I'm going to get her a little more firepower, you know, but she's a great athlete. So I look at the movement first and then the competitiveness, you know, she's so brutally competitive, like everybody I had, Venus, Serena, Capriati, Roddick, Sharapova, they would die to win a point. You can teach that, but if it's kind of there, listen, she's appreciative that sun's shining. And to get an opportunity to be working with myself every single day, and she's like my own daughter, you got to understand, I can get her to run through a brick wall. But I look at the movement, and then if they already have that work ethic and how competitive they are. So if that's kind of there, I don't want to say anything's easy. It's just easier. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. kind of what I look at um, first. But then again, Sharapova, she wasn't a jackrabbit. You know what I mean? So I had to kind of tell the dad, stay near the baseline. Don't back up. Cut the court. You deal the cards. If you got to play defense, you know, you're in trouble, you know, especially when she played Serena. So everything. But this is open-ended. And that's what I like as a coach because it's like a piece of clay. And if I can't make her a champion, uh, I'll just be flat out. I did a bad job. But uh, 
she's going to be a champion. Uh, let's hope. It, it sounds good. It sounds very promising. Uh, do you think like the women's game still has a little bit of a hole where there's like room for for this type of player to to bring in more of that kind of body game you you mentioned like more variety, more slice, more drop shots, more going to the net, mixing it up a little bit than just striking big from the back of the court. Well, first off, I think I think every coach should try to emphasize that, which I'm sure a lot do. The problem is in junior tennis with the girls, you know, you just kind of rip the ball, you hit it hard, you know, you might have a better serve and it's a tough sell. It's the hardest thing. Listen, a lot of people, they come to the net and they get past, they ain't coming there the rest of the month, you know? So it's a mindset. The more you fail, the more you're going to succeed, the more volleys you miss, the more you're going to make, the more drop shots you miss, the more you're going to make. No one's missed more than Alcarez as a kid. That's why he makes more. It's a tough sell because girls want to dub you a little bit more. You know, it's a little different sell, you know, and I'm not saying who has the most variety or who has the most diversification is going to be the best player. But I think it's a it's something every coach should try to teach the kids you know, instead of just keeping the ball in play, you know, hitting the ball in zone four or five with top spin, you got to deliver the goods. But if you can teach someone to change the pace and throw, have a great chip, not be afraid to volley and drop shot, you can match up better against the Sabalinkas. You even saw Coco in the first round of her match at the Open. That girl was slicing and dicing and chipping and ripping and dipping. And it, it, it's hard to get a rhythm, but it's a tough sell. But everybody should look at Barty. Forget the athleticism because she was, you know, very athletic. But she could diffuse power and make you uncomfortable. And when people get uncomfortable and you get into their head, you got a chance to beat them. Yeah, I think that's part of the mental game and part of the strategy and everything needs to be there, of course. But do you see maybe like what I see is that tennis is evolving very fast. So like the players are so good now from all areas of the court that maybe you go back 10, 20 years it, it's obviously been a big evolution in terms of how strong the players are also on the lower levels these days. No question about it. More on the men's side, because as we talked before, Alcarez has not only transcended the game, of, you know, thrown in a drop shot, more well-rounded and stuff like that. He's transcending how people teach the game. It's okay to drop shot. Where before, if you missed it, it's like, what are you doing? So the, the game is changing. The women, it's going to take a little longer because let's face it, power trumps everything. Go back in time and look, other than maybe a Barty or a few people like that. If you have firepower, that, that trumps everything because it feeds into the mobility or the movement okay, of uh, the player in women's tennis. So I think that's always going to be the calling card, you know, taking the ball early, right off the bounce, you know, cleaner strokes. The women don't play with as much spin. When you hit the ball up the line, it's usually money in the bank. But if you could sprinkle in the volley and the drop shot at key moments, four on the third, that could be the difference in winning and losing a grand slam. So it is evolving. And if someone, even Barty was at the top and more people, who knows, maybe more juniors are kind of emulating that. Um, and I try to teach that to everybody, but it's the hardest sell in junior tennis they'd rather they'd rather die slowly at the baseline than come to the net and meet sudden death you know what i mean but it's junior development not junior final destination 
It's not where you start, it's where you finish. So I think any coach that's watching this, you know, if you can stress that and whatever you can get out of that, making a player more well-rounded, uh, that's really the job of a coach. Yeah, that's that seems to be the, the keys, obviously. But do you think, um, how early should you really start looking at the mental game? Like, you, can you start already at 12? Should you Do you need to wait for some maturity in the other aspects of life? Or should you go straight to it? Like, how to work on the mental strengths from as early as possible? I go, I go straight to it. Listen, you know, a lot of times when I give speeches, I give a speech every day, 10, 15 minutes to all the kids. There could be a six-year-old there or the number one junior in the world or an 18-year-old. And I, I talk a lot about the mental game and I talk a lot more about life lessons because the mental game, you know, trying to remember to forget, you know, and that's a big thing in tennis. You know, I taught, this is the wild card. Because I ask the kids all the time about this. How many of you guys lost to someone and you had a better serve, you had a better forehand, a better backhand, and you lost? And all of them raised their hand. Because the other guy gets there, he just loves to run, sweat, and shut up, okay? And he can be on to the next point. And having the ability to forget is the leader in the clubhouse. And you're a performer. you got to enjoy the battle. And it's hard to enjoy the battle if you're losing 6050 but i tell everybody if you were losing 6050 and you were playing federer would you have still be having fun and they all said yes but if they were playing someone 2 years younger they said no i said but wait you're still losing 6050 you see so this is the and everybody has a breaking point everybody gets nervous it's how you handle stuff some people play better in pressure some i mean in in practice so i start with the mental early on and I talk to the kids about going to the fence, taking the towel, 20 seconds, flip it in your mind. It happened 20 years ago. And that's what I loved about Sharapova. I'm telling you, it freaked me out. To this day, I never had a, a young player right there every point. Even though there was holes in the movement and the forehand, it, it was scary. Now, whether that's environmental, whether that's your upbringing a lot, you know, Eastern European, there's many factors that go into that, but that and Kennan had that. If you can do that, okay, or do it better than most people, that's one area you don't have to worry, worry about. And that's what I liked about Venus and Serena. They were all about the competition already. I knew they were bulletproof. That's why I went all in. So that's a big, big thing. Then if you can run and fight, you get good strokes, uh, top tens around the corner. Yeah, that's the exciting part. But how much do you think it's like related to personality? Like you, you have a, a very unique personality always on your hands. And then how do you get to that point where they're comfortable playing matches and enjoy that competitive spirit? Like not all, all everyone does, it, it seems like. Yeah, you know, you got to understand, you know, the personality part, you know, the parents want the kid to be rougher and tougher and mentally stronger. And then they maybe entitle them too much, even though they're doing it out of love. Or it's they could be making them softer, even though their heart's in the right place, you know. And Richard Williams had that balance. He knew when to squeeze and he knew when to hug. That's why I love the guy. So it's a it's a very tough balance that parents have to understand. Unfortunately, most of them do not understand this part. They think it's X's and O's and forehand and backhand. But if you're putting it on someone mentally weak, they're not going to deliver under pressure. And I get so many emails and texts and people always say, can you help them on the mental part if they buy in? Even many college players I work with, 
and they're 18, 19, 20. It's a skill. You know what I mean? It's a skill. That's why people are very good. A lot of people are very good hitters, but they're not good players. There's a big difference. You know, you, you see someone hit, oh, they look really good. But all you're seeing is hit the ball. Hitting and playing is a different sport. It's a, And people got to understand that. It gives you a snapshot. You know, if they're hitting really bad, okay, that doesn't mean they're going to play amazing. So you got to be careful of that. But this is the most important thing focusing on being a performer, loving the battle. More people are smiling now. You see that in Ben Shelton. And this is the Alcarez effect. Everybody does it different. Rafa was more like the Spanish bull. And Federer was just like, I'm not even sweating out here. You know, so you, I'm just saying everybody feels it. But, you know, you know, with Alcarez now being the leader in the clubhouse and greatness, you know, around the corner, He's changing how people even do things. And his effect is really helping people, in my opinion, handle pressure. But it has to come from the heart. It can't be a fake smile or fake enjoyment, or that could probably make it worse. No, I think you have to embrace your personality. You've seen that with players who try to maybe imitate a certain player for a while and, or, or find like a personality that's not them and doesn't work. So I, I think no. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, When it But comes there are to Alcaraz. common threads. Listen, there are common threads you can pick up on when Nadal gets up from the seat and runs back there after playing three hours, you know, or some of the rituals that these people do. They're like a machine. And that's the difference with juniors. They're all over the map, you know. And I said, you want to be a pro? Start acting like one. I know that sounds serious, but you can. The one thing you got control over is attitude. You don't have control over winning and losing. The strokes and strategy takes time. But you have control over attitude, you know, and how you want to go about doing this. I spend a lot of time on this and I have with everybody, you know, that everybody's aware of uh, explaining this, but then getting them to buy in. You know what I mean? No one's perfect. No one's going undefeated. You're going to fail. But greatness doesn't go off kilter as much as the rest of the world. Yeah, that's true. When it comes to greatness and Alcaraz specifically, what do you think about his like end of this season? It's been a little bit topsy-turvy compared maybe to what people were thinking. What's your take and how do you think that affects him for, for next year? No, listen, I, I, I believe even more. And the reason why, because he's 20, you know, I talked long ago, three years ago, about where this was going. And listen, he's not going undefeated. And you, also, if I back the truck up, forget losing to Dimitrov, but... They're playing, and I'm not making excuses. They're playing indoors, and the guy served 88% for serve. I don't think that's going to happen at Roland Garros or outdoors. Okay, and I'm not saying, listen, it is what it is. Anybody can beat anybody. I mean, he's lost to people 100. Any, well, everybody, anybody can beat anybody in men's tennis. It's so close. The serves are so big. Indoors is a whole different dynamic, like grass. So, no, nothing, nothing surprised me whatsoever. It surprised other people just because I'm aware that that's going to happen. I mean, I can go back in time. John Isner beat Federer on clay. I mean, I could start pulling rabbits out of the hat and people go, oh, because we're all caught up in today, in the moment. And people that think something's going to happen to this guy, no way. He, here's why. He loves to play. Everything around him has changed, uh, especially his bank account. Nothing's going to change. He loves pressure. He's human. 
He's going to lose. Okay, he's going to lose. But no, I think the best thing for him is to have these type of losses. And that gets you more alert, high alert. Maybe you can't play as fancy free and, and maybe loose on a few points. See, the problem with Alcarez, it's not a problem because that's his greatness. He has a lot of options where some people have mastered vanilla. And there's a few more things that go through his head. Do I chip it, rip it, dip it? Am I going to throw in the drop? You know, do I take a chance and come in? So there's more diversification in his game, what he's already complete at this age. So that can also lead to a few less points. And as we talked about before, one break is served, the match is over. Yeah. And do you think maybe like if you look back at like Federer, for example, he matured later, but also because his game was quite well-rounded compared to maybe, maybe, maybe many other players and also very aggressive. And it's kind of some similarities in Alcaraz. So I, I am personally incredibly impressed how early he has matured, you know, and other players should be scared that if he gets a few more years, he's just going to keep adding to his arsenal. And then like, what happens then, you know? A absolutely. You look at Djokovic when he first came on, you know, look at all, he changed a lot. He's done better in the middle and later in his career. The problem now with Ar Alcarez and you guys got, you got guys like me saying, if he doesn't get hurt, you know, he could be one of the greatest of all time. And I know that's a crazy statement because we're like normalizing greatness or, you know, but I said he could be. I didn't say he will be. So the, if he doesn't get injured, but he's gotten so much recognition by me and really everybody about everything. He's a generational talent like the world. I'm telling you that the world's never seen this. And then when you start saying he's, you know, Djokovic. Agassi, Nadal, and Federer all wrapped in one. A lot of people don't like that. I'm just telling you, this is what I do for a living. And that's, I wouldn't even go there if I didn't think he had the mental part. And the movement is off the chart. And all the creativity. There's just so much there to his game, barring injury. But he's gotten so much uh, at a young age. Now people, anytime he stubs his toe, uh, they're going to start saying he's going to have a mental breakdown or he's burned out. I mean, listen. I get all that, but listen, he ain't going anywhere barring injury. The best is yet to come. Stays injury-free. I, I could see two or three slams next year. I mean, this guy's the real deal. Um, and there's a little more of a vacuum, as you know. You got Joker, the Serbian GOAT, who's not going anywhere, the greatest player ever to hold a racket. He's not going anywhere. But the rest, it's a jump ball because they don't have – the pedigree yet or the experience kind of like that on the women's side where, you know, there's not proven champions yet. So every, every draw is kind of wide open. Uh, so the best is yet to come for Carlos. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope I'm a big fan. Uh, when, when you said uh, Novak, do you think he's going to be his main competitor then for the next year? And how many slams will Novak win? <laughs> will it take two each? <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I think the thing about Djokovic, he can win on every surface. So, you know, where maybe you knew Federer wasn't going to win on, on clay, per se, especially with Rafa at his peak. So when you get someone uh, like Novak, okay, he just doesn't beat himself. And he doesn't look like he's going to. You know what I mean? His game's a little more, I don't want to say it's not as advantageous, obviously, as Alcarez, but it's not. So he's not going to give you as many presents, you know, and he's not going to beat himself. And the thing about it, because he's 36, everybody that plays him knows 
He's not going to beat himself. Even if you grab a set, they know he can come back. Well, when you grab a set, maybe against Alcarez or someone else, you still feel you have a chance. Listen, just because they're pros and the top 10 in the world, they're human beings and they still think. So Joker's not going anywhere. If he doesn't get injured, I can see four or five more in the oven for this guy, uh, mainly because he wants to. He takes care of his body. He just doesn't beat himself. No, he beats everyone else, it seems like, except maybe Alcaraz. So that's that's going to be the interesting rivalry for next year. I mean, American tennis seems to be doing great. Like we had the, maybe the most exciting guy, at least when it comes to the energy on the court and the smile you mentioned, Ben Shelton. What, what do you see in the kind of uh, crystal ball for, for Mr. Ben com coming years? First off, I love this question. Three years ago, we have we have a $10,000 prize money tournament every weekend. So we have 52 tournaments a year on the weekend. $10,000, it's called the Battle Boca. We get 100 to 175 players. Three years ago, he lost in the second round. <laughs> so that shows you the strength of the field. Not that I'm saying it's stronger than the U.S. Open or the Australian, but it just shows you it's not where you start, it's where you finish. But I saw him, he's a dog, a great competitor, like a pit bull, nasty forehand, but to serve is the wild card, okay? When you can hit that much firepower, okay, and you can disguise it, and the wild card on that, he's left-handed. So he not only has the daily double, he has the trifecta. He kind of has Ivanisevich, but with more power. You know, and listen, when you can serve that big, you're five all with anybody, even if they're better than you off the ground, even if they're better than you in many other areas, like a boxing match. So that alone will give him a reservation, in my opinion, top 10 in the world, always. I think the backhand is good. It's not great. He's changed it. He used to have a bubble loop. Now he's kind of simplified it. Um, he's a good athlete. He's adventurous. So I love his game, permanent fixture, top 10, okay? But if you're asking me who I think is the best of all the Americans, I feel it's Sebastian Corda. We said this before. I think he has the most upside. You know, Fritz is good. Tiafo's good. Opelka is going to come back. Tommy Paul's good. All these guys, if something breaks their way, can grab a slam or two. No question. You know, like a Courier, like a Chang, like a Roddy. They can, because there's a vacuum. But I think Corda, you know, is the one, in my opinion, is the most talented. But as you know, the most talented doesn't always mean you're going to be the best. Kyrgios, Monfils, we could go back in time and talk about that. But Corda, mentally, I like where he's at. His serve's going to get bigger. He really understands the geometry of the court. He has one of the best backhands in the world already ready. His forehand's kind of more like Fetter. It's a tighter spin, not as many revolutions. That can cut both ways, you know, depending if you got to kind of defend and grab the ball. But he can chip it short on purpose. A lot of people chip it short accidentally, and he can volley, you know. So I think there's more. He can give people problems as his career unfolds. And the pedigree is amazing because his mom and dad played pro tennis. So he's always going to get that support system there but american tennis is looking great and it's, it's right around the corner when one of these guys grab a slam let's face it alcarez or joker gets injured or upset it's it's wide open it really is because when you had before nadal Djokovic, federer and murray 
you kind of look and you go back in time. They were always there, semis and quarters. You know what I mean? It's wide open. Uh, but I love Shelton uh, mainly because with that serve, let's face it, anything's possible. Yeah. What do you think about his uh, victory celebration? What about who? His victory celebration, the phone phone call. I love it, and I tell you why. And I tell everybody, if you're going to do that, you got to own it. You know what I mean? He's not. It didn't matter who he's playing, and if they do the reverse hang up phone on the guy, that's. But you got to understand this today's generation. If you look at basketball players and football, and they get a first down, and it's like they won the Super Bowl, or a guy makes a three pointer, it's like. Back in the day, you were supposed to do those things. So people celebrate a little bit different. I love it. I think it's good for the game. And you do also, because you just asked me the question, bit, you know, about his celebration. So, but he has to own it. I don't think it's anything more than him loving the game and, and having fun. And that's why I think he'll handle pressure a little bit better, because it looks like he's having a blast out there uh, besides blasting a serve. Yeah. No, I, I love. I, I think it's good. I think tennis needs more more drama in general. At least more personality. Like show your personality. Like Alcaraz is smiling all the time. He's happy. He loves his own shots. You know, he's like looking up at at Ferrero when he hits a a crazy winner, and and like it's good to have show more of yourself. It's an entertainment after all. Like it, we're we're there, they're there for the crowd, right? We're we're there to watch the the debacle, right? Well, do you would you agree with that, or do you think like tennis still needs to be very gentlemanly and and uh, a bit of old school? Absolutely, you know. And listen, I think a lot more people, not just because of his serve, they love Ben Shelton now because of his personality. And Francis, you know, he's an entertainer, Tiafo. That 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 means a lot, okay, especially if you're looking from a business point of view, endorsements, you know, the smile, the competitiveness, you know. So yeah, we we need more of that. And I think because they're more like of those players near the top 10. Young kids will imitate that, okay? And I think it's good for the game because it's it's entertainment. Talking about entertainment and good for the game, we have uh, Nick Kyrgios. I mean, he hasn't played much this year, if if anything at all, like one match or something. Uh, what do you think next year? Does he come back? Uh, will we miss him or you know, his retirement I, now happening? No, nah, I, I I don't know because I don't know him. But yeah. listen, uh, if he wanted to come back, uh, my advice would be like play every day on grass don't play any other tournaments and then go to wimbledon or go to queens maybe then wimbledon because with his game you know points are shorter everything's quicker you know the serve the imagination he returns well that's why i'd recommend uh but it depends if he wants to do it he you know it, it, let's face it if he wants to do something really really bad He can beat anybody in the world, but that has to come from within, within. So he's holding all the cards, but I, I wouldn't count on it, but that's up to him. Never, never count out someone with that much athleticism and that good a serve. I agree. Uh, when it comes to other players, do you have any like wild cards or anything interesting? Do you think that can pop next year? Absolutely. You know, I, I said it before, uh, Sinner is going to be one of the best players in the world. Oh, he is already. I can see him being in that mix always. One, two, three, four in the world. And he's not going anywhere simply because he's so authoritative off the ground. He probes in and out of the baseline like a boxer. 
He changed his serve a couple years ago, which blew me away because it was a liability. I studied it a lot. And next time I saw him, it's like, whoa. So whoever went in there and did reconstructive surgery, it changed the whole rhythm and everything. And that will get better. And he's confident. He's a great competitor. So I would put center in the mix. I know Rune, I really like his ability, but there's a lot of injury. I, the mental part seems he's all, there's a lot of things going on there, but he definitely has uh, the ability, you know, Joker's not going anywhere, but I put Corda in that mix. And that's nothing against any of the other players. But if you're talking greatness, I'm saying Alcarez, you know, center, okay, Corda, okay, Joker. I can see them all nestled in there. And I know I'm really having Corda leap over a lot, okay? But this is the way I see his ability, okay? His potential. And there, there's a lot more uh, that he can do to get people match up problems. Is that why he can be a dragon slayer? You know, he can really take down a lot of people. And he also seems to have very strong confidence. When you hear his interviews, he's always like talking about he sees himself as the winner of the tournament. He, he's always looking to to do the max of his career. Right? He's not afraid of anything. And I think that's besides moving a bit like Roger, you know, his movement is, is amazing to me. I think he's, he's very smooth, smooth mover, not very efficient. Uh, I think that's impressive that he's so confident as well. Yeah, no, his movement is genetic. I mean, he's, you know, you can move very smooth and still be a bad player, but he has he has tremendous gifts. And you're right about the confidence, but that comes from the heart. Anybody can say anything, but it's from the heart. You know what I mean? And when you when you feel that, even if you lose first round or whatever, you know, like he said at Wimbledon, I'm one of the favorites, and he's never done anything, but he meant it. So a lot of people like with football games, uh, we're definitely going to win, even if they lose. If you feel it, a lot of times you don't voice it to the public or to the media. But no, I, I love his attitude. And let's face it, when he gets more and more confidence, and you know what that's like, when you get the big C, you just you just feel like you should win instead of hoping to win. You expect to win. Not that they don't now, but it's a different level. Just like Joker, okay, he just thinks like he's invincible. But we can't relate to that because... We'll never be able to relate to that mentality because we're talking the greatest male ever to hold the stick, you know? So it's a, it's a different thing how these guys are wired in any sport where you're the greatest of all time. So as you keep doing things in your career, you get confidence. And let's face it, when you have confidence, you take it earlier, you take more chances, you don't stress as much, you just, you know, you're going to win. You play the big points better because that's a fine line, especially in men's tennis. You know, you're just, you're clutch more often. Okay. So yeah, when these people get the confidence and there's other people coming down the pipe and when that happens, you know, look out. When, um, well, we, you mentioned the uh, Runa there, he seems to have found a new coach. I don't know if this uh, a short term solution or whatever it is, but it's Boris Becker who's maybe out of jail and, and ready to coach. Uh, what do you think of, of that choice? Do you think that could be a good thing for him to have a Grand Slam champion in his box, or what do you think? Well, I think I think time time tells all. You know, I think he's gotten to what five in the world, so there's a lot of things baked in, extra crispy. You know, movement, competitiveness. You know, biomechanically, he's not really flawed. I know his forehand can sometimes look a little mechanical, so there's a lot of good things 
that listen, you get the five in the world, you're not a hamburger, you know, that young. But let's face it, there the injury with the back, that kind of set him off a little bit, which injury that happened to Corda. I just think it's the mental part. If someone can help you with that, and then the strategic, because that's what a travel coach is, you know, on the ATP tour. It's more like managing it, motivation, and more tactics. You're not going to change things technically. You got to take time off and break that down microscopically in practice. And guys that travel, that's not really what they would do per se. And a lot of times, if you were a great player, you still need to have a very broad perspective on everything because you might see it the way you saw it, but that's through your eyes. And you got to look through many, many, many different eyes, you know, and a lot of times coaches don't do that either. They're so set in their way that might be their way, but that might not be the best way. You know, I always tell people there's not a wrong way or right way. There's a better way. And I tell a lot of people what you may see is different than Rick may see. So I see this very differently also, but Becker could, listen, obviously been there, done that. That means something, but that doesn't, well, time tells all. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the prudent, prudent way to see it. When, when we look at the women's side, when we had Coco Golf win the U.S. Open, now it was a big breakthrough. Um, what do you think for her in 2024? First off, I love Coco Golf. I love the whole family. Olympic sprinter with a rack in her hand. People don't like me saying that, but she is. You know, I'd love to see the 400 meter. I'm putting my money on Coco, you know, but I know it's not track and field. Tennis is stop and start and all that good stuff. And let's talk about Coco and U.S. Open. Um, she almost lost first round. And there was a lot of people, haters, doubters, people saying all kinds of stuff. And I, I tweeted, it's the best thing ever. Think about it. It's in her back pocket. She found a way to win. Okay, she was uncomfortable. First match, 7 o'clock, Ash Stadium, Billie Jean King, 50 years, equal pay. She's the, she's the chosen one. The next Serena, which that's not going to be the case. Okay, there was a lot there. And you're playing someone who gives you no rhythm. And they hit junk. And they're 35. And people are saying, why is this lady even playing? Okay. And she wins the tournament. And she had rough sledding after that. People have to understand, okay, she won on mental toughness. She run on her week. She won on her wheels running around. Uh, her backhand's always been solid. The forehand, you know, to me, I see the exact same thing. She's a little more confident and, you know, in that, but she's fast enough to kind of hide it. She's probably not thinking about it. And her slice serve, in my opinion, is trending like the goat Serena. She has the best slice serve that I've seen other than Serena Williams. Okay. So, the, and she's still 19 years old. So she can bang, get out of a jam. So I think she can win multiple slams, but it's going to get tougher. Okay. Just because when you're feeling a little pressure, I can see the forehand being hit short, okay? Listen, every, no one's perfect, but there is a little bump there, okay? So who knows if she's going to take time off? You know, we talked about maybe getting together and fixing it, but that's a whole different thing. But at the end of the day, Iga is by far the best. She's the mentally strongest, and she's already been there. She has, you know, multiple slams in her back pocket. Sabalinka can play through you, 
even though mentally she can go in and out, okay? Rabakana, you know, I love to serve, but she can mentally be a little fragile. I love Mahova, okay? I love her game. If she can stay injury-free, it seems like a lot of things. When these people get injured, they kind of disappear, okay? And there's a lot of, there's a vacuum in women's tennis. It's wide open because no one has been there, done that with multiple grand slams. You know what I'm saying? Like back in the day when I could go on and on with the names. So it's really just Iga. So it's it's wide open. There's younger players coming in and there's no one that's invincible. But Iga would be the one mentally that uh, I think is by far heads above everybody. But she's not going undefeated either. either. But I love Coco just because of the way she competes. And well, listen, when you can run like that and stop and start, you got a chance against anybody, but if you keep hitting the ball short, uh, that can only last for so long. Yeah, and you get you know uh, pe people like Sabalenka and Shontek can take advantage of that to to name two. And she she did mention in her even in her like uh, winner speech that you know this was to all the haters, you know, and it seems like players these days they need to really you know get used to the social media being a part of their life, you know. How, how has that influenced the game and, and the players' mental health and, and their you know need to behave, be extra strong on the court? Well, first off, it cuts both ways. I think it depends. Like I said someone on someone's podcast, I said the way Venus and Serena were and their dad, okay, they were bulletproof. They, and that, they didn't have social media back then. Things didn't bother them. Or someone like Jennifer Capriotti, she was sensitive, happy-go-lucky had normal friends, okay? She did normal things, which could be good and bad. People now with social media, if you're sensitive, okay, that can get in your head. And sometimes when stuff, as you know, gets in your head, you're dead. You got to get it out of there. You know what I mean? But other people know it is what it is. You got to look at it like if they're hating, you must be doing something good. You got to look at it like that. You got to flip it. And that can empower you. But a lot of people are very sensitive, especially, you know, more on the female side, I would say, because people, everybody wants compliments. People want to say good things. They want to hear good things. They don't want to hear that because it could become mental. But that can fuel a lot of players, okay, to bigger and better things. And Coco not only felt it, she came out and said it. That's why I love this kid. You know, I, I, I love that, that she said that, you know, Keep hating. It's going to motivate me. All the doubters. I mean, there's a she not she might have a better backbone than backhand, you know, to talk like that. And but that's part of her greatness. But then again, this dad, high level athlete, mom, high level athlete, her brother. You ready for this? He's the number one quarterback in middle school in the United States. I mean, there's some athleticism in that family. You have no idea. You know what I'm saying? So, but the, you grew up in that, you know, everybody's kind of rough and tough. So that's her calling card. I just wish that if she had a forehand that was rock solid, I think she could dominate. Yeah. And I think the mindset is similar to Novak, for example. I mean, he got a lot of shit for, uh, from the crowds throughout his career. And he seemed to always be able to turn it into fuel and then make play even better after that. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's a skill, you know, I mean, a lot of guys can do that. Djokovic likes that. Some people, you got to 
look at it like that when people are against you look at it as a compliment you know and that's hard it's hard to do it's a it's a mindset and i talk to people all the time about this it's more it's a life skill you know what i'm saying and it's a it's like pressure you want pressure alcaraz yeah, exactly. wants pressure you know you want to be expected to win because if you're not okay you you could be working at burger king nothing against burger king you could be working if you're not you want that and but you got to look at it like that but a lot of people don't especially in junior tennis you know what i mean where you're seated bad loss person's older they don't look at it like that when you get older your brain matures and all that so you can reason better but at the end of the day you want that okay you want people you know to when they boo against you or they want you to fail you got to look at that as a compliment that you're doing a lot of things right because people are noticing you yeah it's 100 percent true when it comes to the rick macy life uh how are you what are you working on now besides this ukrainian wunderkind who's who's can do big things you know but do you have other projects in the pipeline i bet you do yes yeah no i do thank you for asking first off uh we're still putting in a couple more chapters to the uh, billion dollar mine that i'm doing with dr niva okay uh she's a clinical uh psychologist okay I, i love her to death okay we're working on this project uh it's not quite done yet but it's not only about uh the game of life it's about the game of really everything how this radiates in every direction and she can go at it from a clinical point of view and i can go at it not really from a tennis but just from a, a life coaching point of view and the collaboration has been so amazing we're going to do multiple books together on different subjects so hopefully in the next two months that's going to come out it'll be available on amazon uh i'm really excited about it because there's so many good things and there's a uh like a little notebook in there that you can take notes and it's really going to help people stay positive uh look at things through a different lens the game of life so that's in the oven uh my partner david Meltzer, who i do game set life okay uh we kick off season three uh after thanksgiving so we'll be teeing that up again with some incredible guests from all walks of life hollywood the sports world we have the most amazing guests david David has a better contact uh, point than any of my students. This guy has more contacts and people he brings on the show, uh, but also uh, a docu-series uh, that David's gonna kind of help me with, with Apple TV. That's kind of, you know, talking about, I was gonna do something with MGM, but I don't really want to do a reality TV show. I'm, I'm not really Ted Lasso. I'd like to do the real thing with just, here's what I do. Um, so that's kind of out there but listen i just do what i do as i told you last time you know i teach seven days and now sophia valinska is here all the time you know it is 50 hours sometimes and even more uh because i got to put this thing together besides all the other kids that i want to help go to college and you know um so i just do what i do and as i said i want to do it as long as i can do it i love being on the tennis court it was 55 degrees a day. I was a little cold. I'm like a lizard. I've been out here for so long in the heat. When it's 55, I'm freezing. You know, I had a big jacket on and whatever, but it warmed up. So that's kind of what I do. And I like helping a six-year-old as much as I do Sophia or anybody adult. Uh, so I kind of do the same thing, but a few other projects. because so I got to keep my eye on the ball and just 
do what I do best and, and just kind of help everybody. Do you ever get some relaxed time or you just go 100% all the time? I'm getting relaxed time now doing this podcast with you. This is relaxation. My daughter's here. My cat's here. When I'm done with this, I got to go back to the academy and teach. This is like when I'm off the court, it's different. Uh, no, you know, fun is what you make it. I couldn't go on a vacation. If I went on a vacation, I couldn't wait to get back. My vacation was going to the U.S. Open, seeing everybody, doing a lot of stuff with Fox News um, and doing, you know, a lot of media stuff. So... I just, this is what makes me happy. And I think in life, you got to do what makes you happy. It's not all size fits one. I don't think a lot of people want to get up at three o'clock every morning and run a half mile. It works for me. You know what I'm saying? Or be at work at five o'clock. It just works for me. I've been that way my whole life. But I think anybody listening to this, when you have a routine and you have structure, you just keep making it better and better. But I do agree with you. You do need balance. You got to recharge. But when I do come home on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and can just watch TV and relax, that's good enough for me at this stage of the game. What did you think about the, the US Open? Was it that it was like an audience record or something? It was packed from what I heard. Like, how was your experience there? Do you compare to previous years? Um, it was it was great. Obviously, you know, I just think Alcaraz is bringing more eyeballs. And I think the Americans, you know, that now it's not just the U.S. Open, it's a U.S. wide open, you know, it's it's wide open. And I think that intrigue with all the Americans and then people like myself and others saying, hey, they have a shot, they have a shot. And then Djokovic saying, not so fast, my friend, not so fast. Okay, they have a shot. And I think all that together, okay, has brought record crowds uh, to uh to the U.S. Open. And then you got the uh, the new sheriff in town, you know, the anointed one, Coco Goff, you know, and it was just packed. So even though Serena left, you know, and a lot of names have left, the timing couldn't be perf uh, more perfect with these players that have come in and they've got even a different charisma, you know, and a different baboon. And and people, people love that. What is your uh, schedule for next year? Are you going to go to like BNP Paribas, like Indian Wells or something? What, what's Do you usually travel to some tournaments or you mainly stay running your academy? No, yeah. Listen, I got to be here. I, I just want to be here doing what I got to do. I might have to, you know, do a few other things uh, with the docu-series and stuff like that, but hopefully everything can unfold here. No, I'll, I'll probably go to the U.S. Open. Probably the only time that I would travel and this depends on really Sophia, you know, is it going to be 15, 16, 17? Uh, when, because uh, I'm very confident in her ability. When the time comes, if I felt the time is right and I had to go to the French, Australian or, or Wimby or whatever, okay, um, just to help springboard her career, because, you know, that could be five, six years from now, you know? So uh, I would do that because, like I said, I not only coach this little girl who's like my daughter, I represent her too, you know, and uh, uh, she's, she's one of a kind, always smiling, has gratitude, thanks me every day, picks up all the balls. I appreciate that. They've never jumped back in the basket, you know, like in my whole career. I, I just appreciate that. You know, she's just a great, great kid. 
besides a, a, an amazing athlete with unlimited potential. But no, I don't really do uh, any traveling other to my house than to the Rick Macy Tennis Center. <laughs> that's great. That's all the travel you need, I think. As yeah, long as you're happy, right? That's yeah. all I need. All right, Rick, I'm going to then let you go because you have a busy day and you probably need to eat and do things that the normal people do, although you're not a normal person, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, we'll, cir hey, we'll circle back around you know, maybe after the Australian and we'll just see where we're at, keeping score on this whole thing. And I really enjoyed it. And I like your insight and questions and uh, we'll keep it rolling. And I'm very curious about that uh, billionaire thing because uh, I think the mindset thing is also what I'm into. So if you want to plug that or come on to talk more about that when that's more in, in the production stage, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that that would be great because I'm really I'm really excited about it simply because there's a whole clinical thing, you know, behind it. And it, it just adds even more credibility to all my life experiences on this part of the game. And let's face it, I've been around and fortunate to help mold or be around some of the mentally strongest, unique athletes. You know what I mean? And what makes them tick, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then to have a lot of it backed up from a clinical point of view, I think people will love it. It's a quick read. It's a fast read, but it can be so beneficial and has nothing to do with tennis. It can have something to do with tennis into your mental part of game, but it's it's everything. And that's why I really like it. And I'm going to do more in this area because, like I said, I'm I'm just as much of a life coach as a tennis coach. Do you feel like during this kind of project, do you, do you learn things as well? Like as you go along working with other people and, and getting more into kind of the data and the insight behind this stuff? Listen, I learn every day. And I tell that to everybody when I do their podcast. I learned today from Sophia. I learned today from this student. You know, I'm learning from you. Listen, if you're not growing, okay, you're not learning every day, no matter what you've accomplished. And obviously, you know, I've had a lot of good things happen to me in my career. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. I always tell that to Meltzer, you know? So you got to try to get better every day. When you think you've accomplished something and you need a pat on the back or you keep looking in the rear view mirror, not good. What am I going to do next? And if you have that attitude before you, you know, when it's all said and done, you'll look back and say, wow, you know, look, look at everything that I've done. So yeah, I try to get better. I've learned a lot from Dr. Niva, okay? But I learned from, I learned from everybody, every parent, every kid. It, it doesn't matter, you know? But then you got to want to apply it. And I think that's the art of coaching. You know what I mean? Like Richard Williams, the one thing I learned from him, I knew when to keep my mouth shut at the right time. So that's a great coach, not saying anything. That's a big part of coaching, you know? Just don't go there sometime. There's such a medley that I could go through just about how to be a better coach. And when people come here to get certified and they're on the court with me three, four hours a day for three or four days, they're all blown away. Even some of these people that play Grand Slams, they played on the tour, uh, they're good coaches. They're great coaches. They have a great job. They're going, this is crazy. You know, because they see me dealing with a six-year-old, then the parent, then a beginner, then a great adult. Then the number one kid, they they see it differently in the way I just kind of bop and weave the mental, the technical, biomechanics, strategic. There's so many gold nuggets sprinkled throughout the lesson. It's not just like, okay, here's what you're going to do on your backhand. And that's the art of coaching. And so if you if you 
if anybody wants to become a better coach, I do certify coaches and people are just blown away. Even if it's one day, four hours, they'll learn more in those four hours than they learn in four years. Do you think that part is, is so like one part that's so important of coaching is the communication? Like like we're talking new, now, you know, like learning when to listen, when to talk, when to, you know, adapt yourself a little bit to the situation. No question. And then the communication part, how to say it, when to say it, why to say it, who to say it to, the frequency of your voice, how high, how low, when to get on one knee and talk right into someone's eye if they're a little munchkin, a little peanut, you know, there's, and you got each person's different. There's not a playbook. Anybody that thinks they can go on the internet and become a great coach, you might get more tools. Okay. That's good. Okay. You can't, you can read a book. That's good. But being on the court with so many, and listen, no one's been on a court more since age 22 than myself. It's, it's a, but then I've wanted to keep getting better, you know? And, and so I think that's the key. And that's the message I try to give to the world, okay? Uh, if I feel I got to get a lot better, uh, I think they should also. I think that's a great uh, great note to, uh, to end on, Rick. Well, thanks a lot for your time as always. Uh, always appreciate it. Always fun to talk to you. And whenever you want to jump on, you know where I am. So that's right. uh, great. It.